Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Hello and welcome back to another edition of Stampede Radio. I'm your host, Chris Blystone, and I'm joined, as always, by Jim Campbell and Chris Shepard. Guys, how's it going? Hey, Chris. It's going good. How you doing? I'm doing all right. A little tired tonight. I uh, apologize, guys, for for missing sort of our, our normal schedule. We're still getting back into the groove of getting this two podcasts out a week thing, and it may take some adjusting. Uh, kind of like, this is this is a great transition here, folks, kind of like... Uh, the NFL season apparently is taking some adjusting for teams like the Colts, who forgot to show up on Sunday. Uh, well, yeah. they showed up in bursts. Yeah, and then they yeah. was like, "Nah." Yeah, they were. It was. It was. It was an interesting, interesting debut. So we're going to talk a little bit about that, guys. Uh, but first, one of the things I wanted to get into is some news stuff. So we wanted to go through the injury report. Um, you know, as we record this, it's Wednesday night, so we've got an idea of what the injury situation is going to look like for next week, but it's not set at this point. Uh, Jack Doyle didn't practice um, with an ankle uh, knee issue. Hopefully not, but I don't know what that means when they do these uh, hyphened injuries. Does that just mean like, yes, everything, the whole leg just hurts. It's just all the leg. Um, it's just gesture. Just, just, he just pointed. Yeah. He's just vague, just vaguely, vaguely pointing. Doesn't, not here or here so much, but right in here. Over around in this area. Um, so then you've got, uh, Malik Hooker was sick. Uh, it says illness. It does not specify more. Normally that would be like, oh, he's, he's sick. But right now that is a little bit more alarming. Um, yeah. So we don't really know what that means. Zach Pascal, um, you know, he, he got hurt in the game, had an ankle issue, and did not practice. And he got hurt, Julian, he got hurt on the opening kickoff. Yeah, yeah, yeah he was he, on what was a pretty nice kick return, throwing a block. So, yeah. um, and then Julian Blackman still um, working on working his way back. He was limited in practice, but even with him being limited, I don't anticipate that as any kind of an indicator he's going to step forward. Um, he's still rehabbing his knee, so I don't think that he's probably likely to be involved. But uh, otherwise, a relatively clean injury report, which is nice. You got uh, all those offensive linemen that were on the report last week are off, which is a good thing. Um, and, you know, you got other I mean, other than the fact that you've got a couple of guys who, you know, that there are some questions about Zach Pascal didn't play a big impact in the game and it didn't really slow the passing game. Malik Hooker, um, I mean, the only thing we'll get into his contribution, but I mean, hopefully he's not going to be sick. So hopefully he doesn't have COVID, uh, which could throw a wrench in all kinds of things. Um, but we'll get into that later in the week as we get more information. And obviously Jack Doyle being hurt would not be great 
So we're going to watch those carefully. Uh, only one practice in to be able to gauge where they're at at this point, but a pretty clean injury report otherwise. Um, the Colts did make a roster move today. Uh, they did did send Marlon Mack to injured reserve and sort of surprisingly brought Reese Fountain to the active roster. Um, and not surprising because Reese Fountain you doesn't deserve the shot. He definitely, you know, has, has done enough in camp at least to warrant giving him a look in terms of playing time. But uh, as we kind of commented in the Slack channel for Stampede Blue today, that it's a little surprising to see them carrying seven receivers, probably as a response a little bit, maybe to Zach Pascal, but um, surprising maybe that they didn't replace him with a running back because that's obviously an area that they now have a need. So uh, what was your thought, Shepard, on on seeing Fountain come up? And what do you think with the receiver situation? What are we looking at? And how long are we going to keep seven guys? Yeah, so I think um, probably they're expecting to get bad news on Fountain. It, it could be something like a, a high ankle sprain, something that's going to keep him out for a few weeks. But with the way the injured reserve rules are right now, um, it wouldn't be that surprising to see a guy like that go on IR for three weeks while he rests up when they have a guy like Fountain that they feel good about. So it, pull him up, um, you know, send Pascal to, to IR for, you know, three to four weeks um, and then, you know, have him get right and, and see what's going on. So I would expect that there's probably going to be a couple more moves in the next couple days as they learn more. Um, but yeah, I don't, I mean, you know, I don't foresee them carrying seven wide receivers into the game unless, you know, unless the Colts just know things we don't. Um, but, you know, it, it would surprise me if they did. I have to say, and I don't know, Jim, what you, what are your thoughts on this? But I have to say I really like the new IR rules. I like that there are shorter term injured reserve. And I like that you don't have necessarily the same limitations uh, that you had in the regular season in terms of how many people can be on IR and like how some of that's, I, I like how some of that's changed. If they had this three week IR as a permanent thing, I think that would be kind of excellent. It gives the teams way more flexibility. And I think they don't have a limit to who they can designate to return. Correct. Right. Right. That one always blew my mind. Like, I just don't get putting a limitation. Like, you know, if a dude can be good in three to four weeks, and maybe you get three of those guys, you know, throughout the season. I don't understand like the benefit or how it, you know, is a debt or a, a bonus or, you know, some sort of leg up on another team that you had three guys on IR come back where the other guys had one. They should be pretty happy. They only had to deal with one. <laughs> like in, in terms of how football works, that's an advantage for that team. You know, that they weren't without, you know, possibly important players for longer. So that that just always blew my mind. So I hope this sticks around. Uh, it makes more logical sense in general. Yeah. Yeah. I know it's a COVID change, but I like that. I like being able to protect a couple spots on the practice squad. Some of these COVID related changes, I kind of hope stick because I just I think it's kind of nice to be able to. I mean, if you're a t especially for a team like the Colts, I mean, that may not matter if you're the Bengals. Nobody on the Bengals is they're not protecting anybody on their practice squad. But if you're a team like the Colts that is deep, I mean, it's really valuable to be able to protect somebody on there. I'm going to it's going to be interesting. One of the things that they're I mean, they they signed a kicker, uh, Matt Gay. And 
that's an interesting signing because you've got this kicker added to the team after you've got a rookie kicker who missed a kick. And, you know, do you have him protected? And all of these different roster rules are, are it's just kind of interesting. It's going to be interesting to see what stays and what goes. A lot of times I feel like they're going to co-op some of this stuff after doing it for a year. And so it may have been implemented because of COVID, but I think that some of this stuff probably sticks around. So that's kind of interesting. Um, now, we didn't really talk about this, about the implications of him getting a shot. But, you know, what do we actually think about Reese Fountain getting on the field? Um, he, he is a fifth round pick from 2018, unproven athletic freak, uh, but not really a big impact player on special teams. He's been primarily a camp star and he hasn't really had any impact. The most notable impact that he had on the field was kind of negative, honestly, in the game, the playoff game against the chiefs where he dropped a couple of passes. And I think even then it was basically garbage time. So really he hasn't had a significant impact for the roster. What, if any impact do we think he's going to have, if he's able to get himself on the field, um, you know, in the, in the coming weeks. You know, if he if he gets himself on the field, um, well, you know, I think that he's got a chance to, you know, as good a chance as anybody else to make a couple catches and and, you know, do a couple couple of those things. I don't necessarily think that uh, he's a guy that they're the coaches are going to be like, hey, we've got to get found in the game. Uh, We've got to get some balls this way. You know, I just don't see that happening. Uh, And really, frankly, I. I just don't see him playing uh, that much with the way that Paris Campbell looked. Um, Paris Campbell, he's not going anywhere. T.Y. Hilton isn't going anywhere. And they just took that rookie, what was his name, Pittman, in the second round. hes They're not going to play Fountain over any of those three guys. So, you know, knock on wood. Um, but as long as those three guys are healthy, uh, I don't think Doris Fountain's going to get a lot of playing time, even, you know, even as a fourth or fifth receiver. I just... Uh, you know, I just don't don't see it. If he's on the field, then yeah, he's got as good a shot as anybody to make a catch. But um, yeah, I just don't I just don't see it. And I think if he is on the field, he has a really good possibility that Philip Rivers will happily throw to him, whether he's wide open mm-hmm. or in like double or triple coverage. <laughs> so you know, he's yeah. he's got a shot, right? Yeah. Um, So in other news, the announcement was made for the Pro Football Hall of Fame's 130 nominees for their class of 2021. And there's a lot of Colts names on there. There's five players. Um, You know, we got Reggie Wayne, Dallas Clark, Jeff Saturday, Bob Sanders, and this guy, Peyton Manning, we may be familiar with. Um, Some pretty good years behind the players on this list. And so, I mean, apart from Peyton Manning, who I think pretty much everybody agrees, this is a first ballot Hall of Famer. Um, any of these guys getting into the Hall of Fame this year other than Peyton? I doubt it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I tend to th- I mean, I, I think that. I think Bob Sanders is going to make the Hall of Fame, but I don't think he's going to make it as a first ballot. Yeah, Bob's Bob is one of those guys that he's going to take a few years, and when I say a few, I mean it might take him a long time. He had a he was a guy that had a really great short run. Uh, he won a Defensive Player of the Year award. Um, you know, he was a Super Bowl champion, um, but you know he he didn't have the longevity that you see most of those guys that get on in the first or second time. 
Um, so I think that Bob, I think Jeff Saturday is another one of those guys that eventually he's going to make it, uh, but it's going to take him some time. I mean, it took Edger and James quite a bit of time too. Um, and you know, it's just one of those things where, <laughs> you know, Marvin Harrison, Peyton Manning, those, those guys were special. Uh, they, you know, I think Marv got, got in the second or third time that he was up and Peyton got on well, he's going to get in the first ballot. So, you know, it's just, those guys are, are different. Um, you know, the hall of famers that I think are coming, like you said, you know, the Jeff Saturdays and the Bob Sanders, those guys are going to get in, but it's going to take some time. Um, and you know, I, I just don't see anyone other than Peyton. It is kind of cool though, because so they couldn't have the ceremony this year. Uh, so assuming that there's a ceremony next year, Peyton Manning's going in and Edger and James will also be going in. The, they'll have the, the same ceremony. So those two guys will be there together, uh, assuming that the world, you know, kind of levels out a little bit by then and, and they can actually have the ceremony and go through all that. So Edge was technically a 2020 edition, but, um, you know, he's going to go in with the 2021 class. So I thought that was was pretty cool, pretty cool. Yeah, definitely. Yep. Uh, I, I know that Colts fans, myself included, love Dallas Clark and Reggie Wayne. But if I had to put money on it, I would say that I don't think either of those guys make the Hall of Fame. Um, I I I understand that they're beloved players and they're they're very good players in the scheme of Colts history. But there are some very good players who are not in the Hall of Fame. And Reggie would be right on the borderline. And I would probably... I could see either way. Neither would surprise me, but I just, I'm not going to hold my breath and say that he'd be in Dallas would surprise act would actually surprise me if he made it in. I think. Yeah. I don't see any way Dallas Clark makes it. Sorry. fans. Well, not that, and it's not that they're not very, very good players. I mean, you're talking about the best of the best that are supposed to go into the hall of fame and the wide receiver pathway in is really tough. And Dallas Clark, um, you know, I would say he probably wasn't consistently the best tight end. I mean, mm-hmm. no, at, at any point really in his career because he had, you know, Antonio Gates um, and he had Tony, uh, Gonzalez. Tony Gonzalez playing at the same time as, as he was. And, and, you know, even sort of, I don't know how much of the back end did he overlap with Jason Witten in the start of his career, but he had some good players playing at the same time that he was playing. And I just, I'm not sure he was ever the best at his position. He did some some very good things, but I mean, even a guy like Todd Heap, Todd Heap's career was riddled by injuries. But if you're being objective, Todd Heap was the better tight end than Dallas Clark. Uh, you know, Dallas Clark is an all time great Colt. Uh, sure, he had, he had a couple. He had a couple of monster years, and then you know, uh, a lot of just okay years. Sure. Um, but you know, Ring of Dallas, honor guy for sure. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Dallas Clark was a guy that, you know, I love Dallas Clark and I'm sure yeah. all Colts fans do, but I just don't think that he's going to make the hall. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, all time great Colt, uh, in that regard, definitely beloved member of that team, but in some ways you get zinged by the Peyton effect where right. that people just assume that, Hey, he probably is a scrub if he goes to some other team without Peyton Manning. Um, so yeah. Um, fair or not fair, he's probably going to suffer from that a little bit. So, yeah, so kind of wraps up, I think, everything we've got there in terms of the news. But we have um, 
a lovely game to talk about. And so that uh, <laughs> that is what we're going to get into here. Let's take a real quick break a little early, but we're going to take a real quick break. We'll be right back and we'll dig into this Colts Jacksonville game. Hello, I'm Neelai Patel, the editor-in-chief of The Verge and host of Decoder, a business podcast where I interview CEOs about big ideas, the problems that come from those ideas, and how they make decisions. It is also surprisingly about org charts. It comes up a lot. We're launching a new limited series that we're calling the Centennial Series, where I talk to CEOs of companies that are over 100 years old, like Xerox, Barnes & Noble, and more. There's no 100-year-old company that's without its struggles, and it's been fascinating to talk to these CEOs about which parts of these companies' history are important and which parts they can let go. A little spoiler for you, if a company is over 100 years old, there's a lot of drama to talk about. It's been a good time. You can listen to the Centennial series right in the Decoder feed. New episodes of Decoder are out on Tuesday, and the Centennial series is out on Thursdays. Check it out. We think you're really going to like it. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts. Most of the time, we talk about tech in terms of a handful of gigantic companies like Google, Meta, and Apple. But some of the most interesting stuff we find online is the product of a single person. When you're working on your own, I think there's this beauty of being able to come up with an idea and then implement it. Then, in that moment, you don't have to have permission from someone else. There's no red tape. In the Vergecast series, Solo Acts, we'll get to know these people, the tech they use to get stuff done, and the obstacles they face trying to compete with the giants. Some people that I talk to and my friends are like, you know, your competitors are Zuckerberg and Musk. Like, aren't you kind of, like, afraid of that? Every Monday, our friend Ashley Escada will be curating and hosting these interviews and sharing with us what she's learned. I can't believe the McRib locator was originally a tornado locator. Right. <laughs> Pretty wild. Listen to our Solo Acts miniseries now in the Vergecast feed, anywhere you find podcasts. All right, guys. So we waited and waited patiently or somewhat impatiently for this football game to begin. Uh, it's been a crazy off season. We kind of talked about how we expected some rust and a little bit of uh, you know uncertainty coming in. But all of us felt pretty confident about the result of this game. And that proved to be stupid because mm-hmm. the Colts, the Colts hate opening week uh, with a passion. Apparently they don't they don't plan to do well in opening week and without a preseason and without, and and having to go on the road uh, to Jacksonville in that opening week just proved to be too much for them to handle. And the game was sort of frustrating. I mean, I, I was messaging back and forth with a friend who's a bears fan and we were having polar opposite experiences. We're, we're messaging back. And I remember thinking and not saying, because I thought better of it, um, I remember thinking, I wonder if this is going to turn into a boat race because the Colts looked so good on the first, you know, really about the first 20 plays, maybe uh, at least the first opening drive and then into the second drive. The Colts offense looked unstoppable. And I thought they're going to steamroll Jacksonville and I didn't give them enough points. And then the wheels kind of fell off and he's having the opposite response because he was watching the Bears just look terrible against the Lions, and then the Bears come out and get a win at the end. Um, kind of fluky, and the Colts managed to cough up the game. And so, very frustrating experience. What were your takeaways just off the top of your head, Jim? The things that you, you're just kind of 
quick takeaways from this game in, you know, as, as general thoughts as you had. Um, wow. There's a lot of screaming. Um, <laughs> mainly because like I, I saw Philip rivers become the Philip rivers. I thought he was for the most part. And, and, and I think we, there's a lot of nuance there that we can possibly dive into on the whole rivers thing. I think we should just skip but, the nuance. Let's go for the hot take instead. Let's go, okay. I mean, the, the, the interceptions. And I, I just, I know we did, a lot of people be like, well, Andrew Luck would have thrown blah, 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 blah. It's like, yeah, but he probably would have also won that game. Like, would have found a way to do it in spite of everybody else, I feel. But that's also me. And it's a horribly biased and uh, gross opinion I need to deal with. But, um, That was frustrating. Of course, you know, Marlon Mack was about to kill it. Mm -hmm. And, and that, that's really, really, I think, I think for me, ultimately the most frustrating part about it was that he looked ready to go and, uh, was taking care of business. And that was cut short way, way too soon. And, um, I don't know if I necessarily want to talk about the defense. (laughs) <laughs> um shepherd what about you did you have any immediate just takeaways that sure <clears throat> so I, I think the biggest thing um you know <laughs> i think i talked about either it was on the last podcast or it was in something i wrote i know i talked about overreactions no matter what happened uh, i knew colts fans would overreact and they have oh um, yeah <laughs> and so you know colts fans have overreacted and said that the Colts suck and you know, Philip rivers is done and they've said, uh, I heard people calling for Frank Reich's job. Yes. Yeah. All, <laughs> all these things. Right. Um, but the thing is that Colts fans didn't for a single second step back. I, I haven't seen one of them mention how good Gardner Minshew looked on Sunday. Uh, I get it. They were upset because you know, our team lost, but, I was blown away with how good he actually looked. Uh, so going through and, and doing the scouting report, uh, watching Gardner Minshew last year, um, I had a good feel for his strengths and his weaknesses. Um, and I really think that from year one to year two, Gardner Minshew's actually improved quite a bit, which is bad news for the Colts. Um, but uh, it wouldn't surprise me if, it's, it was one game, so anything could happen. Mm-hmm. We still don't know anything about any team in the NFL right now. You, you could go back for the past 20 years and watch the reaction shows to, to week one and week two, and everybody thinks that they've got everything all figured out. And then by week eight, we go back and we look at those first two weeks and go, oh, I guess, you know, I guess we were way off about that because we don't know anything right now. But it would not surprise me if in – Week eight, week nine, Gardner Minshew was having just a crazy year. And that week one loss doesn't look as bad because of how much Gardner Minshew has improved. He's still not, he still doesn't have a huge arm, but he just does so many little things so right. And he, he manipulated the Colts defense. Now we can get into the things that the Colts defense needed to do better uh, and need to improve upon and things that we thought that they would do. That's a separate issue. I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about how good Gardner Minshew was. He was very good. And that's really my, my big takeaway was that the Colts lost uh, a a winnable game. They should have won, 
but Gardner Minshew, the opposing quarterback, played lights out. Yeah, well, mm-hmm. and, really and for me, I had a couple of takeaways. First was that, um, well, first was the two guys who arguably had, you know, the best days are not total surprises to us. Well, one one was a pleasant surprise. One was not surprising, and that is Naheem Hines had a big day. Um and, you know, if you were if you were shocked or surprised that he got used heavily, you weren't paying close attention to the way Frank Reich talked this offseason. Um, he was I th- I think he touched the ball like 14 times. He's going to be involved in the offense. Uh, and that was with Marlon Mack. I mean, he was doing that. And he was involved heavily with Marlon Mack still in play and uh, became even more so after Mack went down uh, with his Achilles injury. So uh, if you expect Naheem Hines to take a back seat, you are going to be mistaken. He's going to be an active part of the offense, as are all of the running backs. And um, the other guy is, you know, Paris Campbell's rapport that he built in training camp with Philip Rivers. That ain't going away. Those two have a good connection. And there were times where Paris Campbell looked scary. Um, he is very close to breaking off some big runs uh, almost every time that the ball touches his hands. I mean, he's he just has a kind of explosive uh, speed that that really, and I don't know, it may have been you, Shepard, that tweeted this, but the Colts were fun to watch again. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it was and it was fun because you legitimately watched Campbell getting the ball in his hands and thinking this guy could could break something at any moment. And we haven't had a playmaker like that in a long time because. A lot of the times, even even the greatest Colts receivers, they weren't run after the catch receivers. They they would beat you in the route, uh, and they might be a deep pass receiver. But I mean, you know, Reggie wasn't breaking a bunch of tackles. He was going to beat you downfield, or he was going to beat you across the field for a good catch on the sideline, or whatever it was. But you weren't getting these little screen passes that somebody was just going to rip off for a forty five yard touchdown or something. And that is absolutely in play with Paris Campbell and. Yeah. Um, He's got a lot to prove. This is one game and he had a, he had a very good game and he's, you know, it wasn't a great game, but it was a good game and he's going to have to prove that he can do that against better teams, but it was a really good start and it was proof that um, there are some playmakers. T.Y. Hilton does not have to be the focal point of the offense for this offense to be successful. Yeah. And it's, it's nice to, to see that bit of diversity in our playmakers again uh it you know or ever really i mean it's been a long time to to have i think that legitimate set of of potential weapons uh especially with the speed on that and and i will say with the i watched it again last night and i came away with from that second viewing feeling a whole lot better um than i did on sunday and and most of that was because of the offense. Um, you know, it Paris Campbell in particular, as you said, was standing out. You know, seeing uh, Taylor's little uh, dump off pass that gashed him for like thirty six yards or something like that. Um, those types of plays, which we hadn't really seen in some time, and then also uh, watching like somebody who knows how to legitimately do a two minute drill. And, yeah. and march the, the the team down the field, regardless of what BS might have happened at one point, whether it was, you know, at the end of the game with, with T.Y.'s drop passes 
um, or you know Phillips interceptions in general to see the ball at least for a couple series move down the field with effort with that or with little effort uh, was really nice to see and and that is something that I just you know don't remember Jacoby doing that often outside of those first what five games or so um, but a lot of that was on the shoulders of Marlon Mack as well so uh, to, to have that that diversity in our uh, our offense is really really nice to see yeah well and Shepard you said this and I think this is something that the Colts fan base definitely needs to hear and that is that you, you just don't get that worked up about week one results regardless I mean if, mm-hmm. if we had gone out and stomped the Jaguars into paste you shouldn't have gone away thinking this is a, a lock Super Bowl team we, right. we just need to mm-hmm. call it because this is this team's that great it's week one there this has been the weirdest offseason in NFL history and this is week one week one is always kind of a little bit sketchy in terms of how reliable those results are and you've added it in no preseason and all these other weird things that have happened um, it's going to be a weird year to me it was encouraging that they had a good start um, Philip Rivers looked fully in command of the offense. I did not have any doubts that the guy was in control on the field. There was no weird disconnect. It didn't seem like with the players. Um, the dumb mistakes that he made seemed like dumb mistakes. They didn't seem like miscommunications necessarily. I mean, they, they seemed like he tried to force it. He, you know, tried to make something happen. They've got to deal with that, but also they shouldn't be putting him in a position where he feels like he has to win the game uh, because he is a little bit, Jim, you made the comparison. He's a little bit like Andrew Luck in his tendency to kind of make some dumb decisions on on occasion. The difference is he's not Andrew Luck. He's Philip Rivers at the twilight of his career, and so he can't go out and redeem himself for those stupid mistakes like Luck could often do, and the Colts shouldn't be asking him to try. Um, But I was encouraged by... Um, how well that offense was functioning, like you said, a little bit with Mac, but it, it didn't really stop specifically when Mac went out. It wasn't like that was the thing that ended it. What I think ended it, and you know, we've talked about this before, and uh, and Shepard, I'm interested to know your thoughts. It seemed to me that the same thing ended it that often ends these Colts runs. It's like when they run out of the scripted plays, all of a sudden it gets a little bit squirrely and they become a little more predictable. And it's not that Reich is a bad play caller, but it's pretty clear that those those um, orchestrated play sheets are really solid. And then you get into kind of the mixing it up section that's maybe a little bit less solid and you stall out a little bit. Um, is that just me or did you did you see some of that as well? So I think the the biggest thing um, with Frank Reich is Reich wants to run the ball and when that's going well when you're ripping off four, five, six yard runs consistently. It's really easy to stay dedicated to it, right? Because you're you're picking up first downs, you're moving the chains. It's really easy to go back to it. One thing that I've noticed with Frank Reich is that when the run game isn't going well, um, he goes away from it. He tends to to kind of go away and he he goes to the pass and you know it's almost like he doesn't come back to it with the type of consistency that he probably should. Um, and I think another thing too, um, I don't think that the Colts were ready to not have Marlon Mack be their lead back in week one. Uh, so when, when Marlon Mack goes down, um, 
I think that that kind of changed the direction of the offense. It kind of changed what they were, you know, what they were planning on doing. And, you know, they just didn't go back to the run in the, the same way with the same gusto. I think that they probably would have otherwise. I think they still had a, a decent amount of run attempts. Um, but the fact of the matter was they just weren't, they just weren't hitting those runs and they weren't, uh, they weren't mixing up the, the run game at all. So, you know, they only lost by a touchdown. It's not like they had to throw the ball, you know, 50 times or whatever it was. Uh, they would have been fine. But again, I think that, like you said, kind of, he goes off script. Um, some things happen in the game, running games, not going really well, and they kind of get away from it. Uh, and I think that that's something that he's done in the past. Uh, and I think that one thing that we have seen Frank Reich do, it's been actually really nice to see is that he recognizes those things and then he fixes it. Um, he's, he fixes a lot of things that he's done wrong and it's, it's nice to see a coach do that. Um, I'm not worried about that necessarily, but I think that we did, we definitely saw that in, in week one. Um, Marlon Mack went down, the run game wasn't going like they thought and they just went away from it. They didn't stay consistent and they didn't, they didn't continue to try to pound it. And, and, uh, I think that that's something that they will need to do going forward. Well, and because it's 10, 37 on a Wednesday night after all of this, and we still do not have access to the all 22 mm-hmm. footage right. game pass. I can't say with real certainty whether more of that fault lays with the offensive lines blocking or with, uh, you know, Naheem Hines and Jonathan Taylor not making the right cuts uh, or lane decisions, because I can't really see that very clearly. My initial impression was that it did not seem like the offensive line was winning their battles, uh, specifically like in the A-gaps. It seemed like they were getting stonewalled by a Jacksonville defense that really kind of brought it. And um, I'm sure some of that could have been mitigated by maybe some better running. And that's, that's something that Mac was doing early, but I definitely felt like the offensive line was not on their a game and that was noticeable. So in many ways, a lot of the things that were struggles for the Colts, um, felt like they weren't things you should expect to happen all the time because a good offensive line is going to have some bad weeks, but a really good offensive line is not going to just fall off the face of the earth. That's not who they are. There's not, uh, without, you know, massive injury, they're not just going to drop off. So they might have a down week or have been, you know, not prepared or surprised by the successfulness of this defense, but I just don't anticipate that sticking. And so I'm, I'm, I'm suspicious that we're going to see a significantly improved run blocking game. Uh, they blocked, yeah. they pass blocked fine. But in terms of run blocking, I suspect maybe we'll see better of that next week. And uh, next episode, we'll we'll jump into what that matchup is going to look like specifically against the Vikings. But I'm anticipating an improvement regardless of imp- of opponent, just because I think you had a down week uh, and it was early, and you know maybe that's improved and we see uh, some better play. I think it was pretty clear that Jonathan Taylor, when he gets in the open field is in my opinion, I didn't think it was particularly close, the most explosive back in that group. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, Marlon, Marlon Mack, Marlon Mack is impressive and he has some great acceleration, but Jonathan Taylor is also, 
he, it's a different thing. He is not just fast. He's explosive. And he looks like he can run some people over and did. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, he just looks like a guy who could be at the next level if he gets good blocking. So I'm really excited to see what he can do with the full workload. Um, I'm, I'm torn up for Marlon Mack. It really sucks that he had this injury because there's the track record is not great for running backs coming back from Achilles injuries and he's in a contract year. Um, the, the selfish part of me is kind of excited that this means maybe we have a better chance to re-sign him at a reasonable rate, uh, at least on like a one-year kind of prove-it thing. But it, I, the part of me that is detached and you know cold and uncaring is thinking that you know, Jonathan Taylor is now going to have an opportunity to really show what he's made of. And um, if his college history is any uh, indication, that's that's pretty impressive. And what we saw on the field to me was pretty impressive as well. Yeah, yeah I, I, I honestly. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, no, Jim, go for it. I say I that second viewing, I think, really showed because once again, you know, all 22 available. But watching it again, I thought that the pass blocking the pass protection was actually excellent um and and actually when when they got to the second level there's running dudes over um when they got there when they weren't getting stonewalled at times um and so i i was really shocked by that but i would really do want to go back and see like you said how much of it especially once Marlon was out of the game and even when Marlon wasn't because like you know the the fourth and one with Naheem Hines Marlon wasn't out of the game yet you know he no. hadn't gotten mm-hmm. hurt yet uh and and if you look when they showed the replay on the broadcast there's a pretty massive gap uh right to his right I think that possibly if he had seen it that might have actually been a score and not just a first down yeah and and I gotta wonder how many of those plays there are uh, once he became an even bigger portion of the game. Um, yeah. And, well, and so, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Well, I, I Naheem Hines, I, I like him really well. And so mm-hmm. this is going to sound like I'm you know, like taking shots at Naheem Hines. Uh, but I'm not real impressed with his vision as a runner. And I just don't, I know that the Colts like him and he's very fast and he has an explosive aspect to his game. But I came away from that feeling like if they had used Jonathan Taylor the way that they used Naheem Hines, they would have gotten significantly more production. Um, well, not not Naheem that Hines wasn't. Naheem Hines is a converted receiver. Uh, yeah. Who's, mm-hmm. who's doing a good job at running back. But I mean, you got to, let's be honest, he's, he's not a pure between the tackles runner. He's, he's done okay at that, but that's not who he is. Yeah. And I just think that maybe that is a mistake for the Colts to spend too much. I I mean, I don't think he is as as explosive a playmaker maybe as he kind of gets billed. Um, Mm -hmm. I, I was really excited to see Mac have three catches. Um, He had 14 for all of 2019 and he had three catches for 30 yards uh, in the quarter and a half that he played. And I was really excited for that because he looked like a great runner with the ball in his hand in the open field. And if you could have gotten him and Taylor uh, both able to successfully catch the ball out of the backfield, you are definitely going to see some significant production there. Regardless, you have to be impressed with just the usage of the screen game. And Philip Rivers definitely has that down. It's it's a 
frustrating thing that Andrew Luck could never do well. I feel like Andrew Luck was the worst screen quarterback. I mean, Jacoby Brissett was the worst because he was trying to kill his receivers. But but I feel <laughs> like when they would run these screens and they just did not work with Andrew Luck. And I don't know why that was, but Philip Rivers obviously does have that down. And it was really nice to get to watch those effectively work because I feel like we've had some guys who would have benefited from that usage. We just haven't really done it well. Well, one thing that I think that's going to come from the the running back situation, like you said, it it really is too bad that Marlon Mack went down. Um, But if anybody took any bets on who was going to be offensive rookie of the year and they took Jonathan Taylor, um, I got good news. Uh, The chances that he's going to win that award just went way up. Um, I think the Colts, they want to run the ball. uh, And, you know, if Jonathan Taylor gets going just with what we saw uh, with that speed, with his size, the usage that the Colts are going to give him, um, there's a very real chance that he's going to be in play for Offensive Rookie of the Year when it's all said and done. Yeah, it was definitely exciting. Uh, it's a good time to have taken a, a, a running back in the second round. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, obviously the Colts could not have foreseen that this was going to happen to Marlon Mack, but they definitely uh, are very lucky that they did take a significant investment in a running back when they are going to have, well, that's definitely um, not nearly as devastating now, I guess, as it could have been. Um, So now that we've talked about the offense and we could, well, let's, let's, well, I guess we can dilly dally around. I was going to say we could talk about Paris Campbell a little bit, but I feel like really that would just be avoiding the defense. Um, (laughs) So let's just dig in and talk about the defense and um, what was going on with the defense really at any level. I mean, I didn't see anything and maybe, you know, you guys have, have gotten an eye on something that I miss. I didn't see anything of real significance uh, to take away as a positive. I mean, there were, there were a couple of sacks in the game and that was great, but I didn't really see much to be super excited about in terms of the defense in any way. Yeah. So I wish that I could sit here and, talk about how uh, the offense was completely different than anything the Colts could have expected. And uh, there was no way they could have been prepared for it. And there were just a bunch of unscouted looks and that's why the Colts defense looks so bad, but I can't, and I can't tell you that because in my scouting report, I pretty much wrote exactly what they were going to do. And then they did it. Uh, so if me, a very part-time uh, guy who has a hobby writing about, uh, football came up with it. I'm sure the Colts coaches were more than capable of doing that. I know they were. Um, it was just bad. Uh, and again, without the all 22, it's, it's tough to know exactly what happened. Um, pass rush, you know, you mentioned a couple sacks. One of them, I want to say was a coverage sack that, um, you yep. know, he should have gotten, he held, he held the ball way too long. He, Jacoby Brissett would have had the ball out by that point. Uh, well, I mean, I mean, okay. All right. Um, but uh, you know, there were a couple sacks, but really most of the time there wasn't a lot of pressure getting to him. Um, he wasn't forced to get the ball out of his hand quickly. Uh, and the secondary looks like that they need uh, some time to come together as a unit. Uh, and I think that Matt Eberflus talked about that there were miscommunications in the secondary and that that's something that they needed to work out. And, um, you know, again, just with watching the game, you know, just the, the broadcast tape, 
uh, I would I would think that that's accurate. Sure seemed like there was some miscommunication. So hopefully they do get that taken care of quickly. Um, but again, you know, just the the issues on the defensive line, they didn't look like that they were on the same page. Uh, the defensive backs didn't look like they were on the same page. And without the All-22, uh, I'm not going to lie to you, I don't really know if the linebackers had a good game or not. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. It, it was just not great. It. it... There are, I don't know, it's just one of those very frustrating games where there's just so many mistakes that it's really almost hard to know who to blame. And, and you know, I wrote my winners and losers piece, and I had a real hard time with the defense because I looked pretty heavily at the All-22 before gauging anything about defense. Um, it's so much easier with some of those looks to kind of try to figure out who who's responsible, whose responsibility and who made mistakes. And, um, you know, if you've got stunts and things like that that are taking place on the, uh, the defensive line, that's a lot easier to pick up and see where things happen there. Um, but you know, the one person who I listed as a loser, um, was Malik Hooker. Um, not necessarily because he played a worse game than somebody else, but because he has to play a better game than almost everybody else on this defense all season long. I mean, he really needs to have a great season because he's going to be trying to get himself a payday. And, um, you know, he, he lets a rookie, uh, a rookie that we talked about a lot in the draft. Uh, one of the guys I really liked for the Colts, LaVisca Chenault, um, he let, score on him um and you could argue that maybe it wasn't a great thing for him to be lined up one-on-one against this guy uh but he you know he bites on uh this kind of stop like stop and go route and chenault you know gets him and it was sold well by uh gardner Minshew. and again you you've talked about all the little things that he did well um it would be pretty tough to complain about a guy who's maximizing his abilities. And that's what those two did specifically on that one. So it's hard to complain, but Malik Hooker can't have those. Oh, well, this was really tough. I mean, he's, he's got to be winning these reps and he can't have these whoopsie plays because he's, you know, he's not in a contract next year. He's looking for work. So, um, I kind of labeled him as a loser. It's really tough to do that with a safety when you can't watch the all 22. I hate to do that, but um, I'm, I feel pretty confident that if, if they were on the Colts defense, you could call them a loser and you were probably right because very little went well. Um, And yeah, it just, it it wasn't a good, it wasn't a good game for anyone. It was frustrating, uh, encouraging in some ways because they, the defensive line was getting blown apart completely and you just added an all pro uh, to the defensive line and the defensive line didn't struggle with the run like that last year necessarily. So if you have gotten an all pro better on the defensive line, you've got to think that some of that was rust or at least you got to hope that it was. Um, And hopefully you see a bounce back as the season goes on, as these guys gel and get better uh, communicating with one another, like you said, Shepard. That's maybe my, my hope is that we need to give it a, little bit of time to breathe and just expect that this is probably going to bounce back because the two groups that in my mind maybe struggled the most um uh, and and i say that in relative terms uh struggled the most relative to where you'd expect them to be where the offensive and defensive line uh two strengths of the team mm-hmm. that just didn't look dominant like they often have uh, well the offensive line didn't look dominant and, and the defensive line we kind of expected them to look Maybe not dominant, but against this group, I kind of honestly did expect him to be a little dominant, and they looked like they were overmatched. Um, 
So I'm, I'm hopeful a little bit that we're going to see both of those groups come back a little bit. And even if they're not maybe as good as we had initially thought they were going to be, I expect them to be far better uh, on the whole over the rest of the season. Yeah, I think that, um, you know, again, it's it's one week and we expected we had expectations, right? That's the that's the problem. We expected something uh, because we added DeForest Buckner and we expected him to come out and play uh, really, really well and everybody to be elevated by his play. And it turns out that in week one, that just didn't happen. Um, it, we saw it in week one last year with a, a normal offseason. Uh, the Tennessee Titans went out and absolutely mopped the floor with the Cleveland Browns. Now the Browns were bad last year. I don't want to, that's not the, it's not the moral of the story. Um, but after that first week, everyone in the media, the fans, everybody were, they were all talking up the Tennessee Titans as if they were this giant killer. Now the Titans again had a great season, but they didn't have a great season with Marcus Mariota that week two game. I remember watching them and I remember watching that, that Browns game and thinking, well, you know, they weren't, they weren't that great in this game. The Colts are going to win. The Colts did go out and they did win against the, the Tennessee Titan team that everybody said were, you know, these giant killers. Uh, it turns out we didn't really know anything from week one. Um, so again, week one to week two, if we're still sitting here and we're still saying, well, you know, we haven't really seen much out of DeForest Buckner and it's week three or week four. Okay. Let's, you know, let's have that conversation. Um, you know, if they're still not stopping the run, they're still not getting after the quarterback. If the secondary still hasn't figured it out, you know, weeks three, four, five, six, then yeah, we, we've got, we've got some problems. Um, but I'm, you know, week one, um, it was disappointing. But I'm not ready to. Uh, I'm not ready to call the the DeForest Buckner acquisition trade and sign. Uh, you know, a, a mistake yet. Uh, yeah. You know, I'm, I'm willing to give that some time. Definitely. Well, um, last thing I wanted to do before we get out of here is I wanted to go through and see if you guys had any um, individual plays, any any specific things from this game that either gave you some real room for excitement about this season, some, some specific play that you remember um, that got you excited about the future or that gave you a lot of concern, maybe some pause about how things are going to go this, this remaining season. Obviously it's dangerous to make sweeping judgment on things, but if there were any things that kind of gave you room for some hope or, or killed your hope either way. (laughs) Uh, I think it was the one I already mentioned that what 36 yard pass to Taylor um, that I think I saw the future of this offense and I liked it a lot. And, you know, I don't know if that future is the same quarterback, probably not, but the potential I saw it right there and what it could do. And so, I think that's, that's the best part that I, I, I took away from it. So that was one of those plays, and I don't remember the last time. I don't think it happened all of 2017. Maybe it did, but um, I don't remember it if it did. So probably 2018 and Andrew Luck was the last time this happened. That was the first time that I had – my daughter was taking a nap during this game. I was home with just her, and I literally jumped up in the air and shouted – and then had to immediately remember like, oh, no, my daughter was asleep. I hope I didn't wake her up. Um, and that was a great moment to have 
that feeling again of just excitement about something great happening uh, on the Colts uh, for the Colts offense. And yeah, that that had that effect absolutely on me of just kind of this hope that maybe hasn't been there with the offense, but uh, unbridled excitement is, is one of the best parts about football. And that one elicited that response for sure for me. Yeah. And was it a screen or was that just his, I don't think it was a screen. I just think it was a swing pass. Yeah, Just a little swing pass. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, everybody was on their game. You know, it, in that yeah. one play in particular. And I was like, okay, if we can just string more of these, you know. I can get string- behind this. I can get behind two or three of these a game for sure. Yeah. And, and that's the thing. If maybe we had one more of those, we, we might at least have taken this to overtime. You know, and, and it was those couple moments, especially in the rewatch, was like, man, you know, woulda, coulda, shoulda, you know, any of that stuff. But a couple things go slightly differently and we win that game um like you know marlon mack taking a right instead of left (laughs) you know things like that um going that way so while it was it's frustrating especially when you look at this game on paper because if you if you you know hide the score and you look at the stats you're like oh well the colts probably won that game and then you're like what (laughs) When you see the reveal of that score, I think that's one of the most frustrating parts of this game. But I think there's some hope in there as well. Sure. How about you, Shepard? Yeah, so I think really the the entire second drive uh, from the offense was kind of where, for me, it kind of clicked. And I went, wait a minute, this offense is, you know, it's not different from what they're calling, but it's how they're calling it. Um, So... You know, during the games, I I sit down with my two TVs, and I've got one TV. I've got Twitter, and I've got my uh, the program that I use to you know record the the clips, the highlights, um, you know, in real time as the game's happening. Uh, and then on the other TV, I've got the game set up. Uh, and I think I've been doing that for a couple years now. Um, I, did I start it last year? I I don't remember. But anyway, this is. I've done it a lot. I've done it enough to know what I'm doing and I got pretty proficient at it. Um, and I was having trouble keeping up with the Colts pace. I couldn't get the, I couldn't record the plays fast enough, uh, to, to get everything done and to, to do it normally. It's just a a really quick process. And I do it while the Colts are in between plays and I wasn't able to keep up. I couldn't even record, let alone post, uh, the plays as they were happening. So, in that moment, I realized like this, this offense is moving really fast and they're doing it really well. And then, you know, they stalled out on that fourth down. Um, but before that, that entire play, um, or that entire drive was, was, it was exciting to watch. It was, it was exciting football. Um, the, the other thing, just the overall takeaway, I think Jim kind of mentioned a little bit, uh, the fact is the Colts played terrible. (laughs) They, they did not play well. I think that they know they left a lot of points on the board. We know they left a lot of points on the board and they still only lost by seven on the road in week one in the middle of a pandemic. So if you want to take away a positive, that's it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well for me and Jim, you alluded to this in, in terms of frustration a little bit, but for me, um, the play that I would say, and there were really a couple of throws that this was the case, but the play that I think maybe was encouraging to me was the drop in the bucket pass that Philip Rivers made to 
um, to Paris Campbell mm-hmm. um, oh, when he over the shoulder. Mm-hmm. And when, it when was, he got hit. Um, I don't remember. I don't think he got hit. It was on the, it was on the left sideline. Um, I, think, I think he threw it when he got hit. Like that was once again, kind of yeah. Andrew Luckish. It, <laughs> yeah. It, Oh yeah, when I thought you were talking about when Paris got hit and got up and no, flexed. No, when when, uh, when Rivers <laughs> got hit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, yeah the the yeah. ridiculous. That was one of those where I thought, okay, so what I watched of him and the film that I watched was not of a guy who had lost a ton of arm strength suddenly. Um, that was kind of what a lot of people have tried to sell. Like Philip Rivers is is washed, his arm is no. Right. He made some tough throws. He made some throws that mm-hmm. you know that there are quarterbacks starting for teams that are far younger than him that cannot make. Um, some of his throws to the outside, you know, throws across the field to the outside uh, to the boundary are throws that many quarterbacks can struggle to make, and he has the arm to get them there. His problems were decision making issues, which is not entirely better because he's a vet, so he ought to know at this point. But if you're used to throwing to Mike Evans, uh, not Mike Evans, Mike Williams, and um, you're used to throwing to Keenan Allen, you know, thank you. Um, goodness. Uh, if you're used to throwing to those guys and instead you're throwing to T.Y. Hilton, T.Y. Hilton is not a go up and get it kind of guy. He's mm-hmm. going to win the route and it's going to maybe take some adjusting to get out of that mentality of throwing up these 50 50 balls or at least making sure you know who you're throwing to when you throw up the 50 50 right. ball and make it be the 5 10 receiver um who is the speedster but not known for his crazy vertical um those things take adjustment and time and i'm not as concerned about them i didn't see a guy whose arm can't make throws and so that to me was pretty impressive uh i I saw a guy who runs the offense really well and who has the arm to make those tough throws. So I don't think this offense is going to get boring. Um, I think that we need a little bit more from the defense, but like you said, Shepard, the glass half full of it is this was a bad game. And if you view it as that and say, you know, a lot of things were bad. And if some of the things we did well, stay the same. And some of the things we do did bad become average. Uh, this is a team that should still win a lot of games. Yes. Uh, even if the defense doesn't get to good, they just get to average. This the average would have won this game pretty handily. Um, outright bad, unfortunately, did not do the trick. Um, yeah. So. Yep. Well, and I, I think I, you know, we, I feel like when I was watching it, the the wheels really came off. Uh, I want to say third quarter when the offense got those um those two illegal formation penalties uh and then yeah, it was just a, a horrible string of penalties till basically the end of the yeah. game from well, both I think sides Joel, of the ball. and Doyle had the weird the, uh yeah. like crackback block that which was which I'm not sure was a crackback yeah, block I'm and, still upset about that call that was the sense. worst call he was in line they were in line on the line it wasn't like Doyle came in motion and came down the line they were Doyle was in a three-point stance. If that's a penalty, football is dead. It is over. Yeah. Those were two men head up in the trenches, and Doyle hit him, and it's a penalty. That's it's wrong. I just don't I don't understand that. Um. Yeah. I I was actually overall relatively impressed with the minimal number of, of bad penalties because I thought that without a preseason that we would see a lot more of them, but it did seem like the Colts were recipients of a few pretty lousy ones. Um, but overall a disappointing outing, 
you never want to lose to a divisional opponent. That definitely could sting. Uh, the good news is the Texans also lost. The Titans uh, kicker is terrible. Um, he, <laughs> he, he he managed to win them the game, but I believe he missed four of his five kicks. Uh, the only one that he hit the whole game was the, the game winner. And I guess if you have to hit one, that's the one to hit and <laughs> let them squeak by. But but uh, it, it looks like there are some – I mean, the Titans are not built um, – as a team that's going to dominate teams, they need a kicker who's pretty reliable and that's not encouraging for them. Uh, I'd love to see them on the wrong side of the kicking struggles like the Colts were, although the Colts had a rookie who I also mean, missed a kick. So Vinatieri's available. I'm sure they could sign him. Mm-hmm. That'd be great. That'd be great. Um, so the Colts, you know, aren't, I mean, it's, it's one loss and that's not great, but they're going to be home for the Vikings. Like I said earlier, we're going to dig into that deep, um, on the next episode and get you the game prep so that you're ready to go. Um, Shepard's got, I think both, both offense and defense are up and available mm-hmm. now. Correct. They are special teams dropping. Tomorrow. Yep. Special teams will be up tomorrow. So yeah, check that out. Um, you know, kind of get, get everything figured out. We're going to have Q and a Q&A and all that good stuff dropping with Vikings. I know that's not a team we play very often. Uh, the way that I know that is when I put together our team, uh, our Vikings week two matchup game hub that has all of our different stories. Uh, I couldn't hardly find a picture that didn't have somebody who didn't play for either of those teams in it because all of the players, uh, so like all of the players are gone, uh, from both of those teams. And, uh, like I get, it's all Frank Gore and Andrew Luck pictures. Um, Adrian Peterson was still popping up as a Viking. It was very difficult to find a picture in our catalog that wasn't of players who no longer play for either of those teams. So, well, um, I'll, uh, I'll jump ahead of myself, but even just to go one better, there are six new starters on, the Vikings defense from last year. So yeah, it would have been impossible to still find a guy that played for, uh, for both teams the last time we played. Yeah. So here's what I did. I cheated and I put a, I put one with a uh, Vikings defensive back who I did not bother to see if he was still on the team. <laughs> no, and he's not, I guarantee it. <laughs> and he's chasing, uh, he's chasing down a Colts receiver who is wearing number fifteen and who is <laughs> relatively hidden, but it's definitely Philip Dorsett and yeah, not right. Paris Campbell. Um, but you know what are you going to do? So um, yeah, it's it's going to be interesting. You want to learn about as much as you can about them um, by checking out the episode. And yeah, we'll uh, we'll be back with that. We'll be back with. Any final news updates that we get, maybe we'll at some point get a chance to look at this all 22 footage, or maybe they're just never going to release it and we'll never know um, how everybody did realistically. It's this has all uh, just been some sort of a mind game with anybody who likes to look at that kind of thing. So until that time, guys, uh, I don't know if anybody has been jumping on at all, but um, we're going to get through if I if we get some good, funny uh, show reviews, I would appreciate that. We'll read some on air if we get some good ones. Um jump on and review uh, on iTunes or Stitcher, Spotify, wherever it is that you get the podcast, jump on and give us a rating and review. We would appreciate that. And follow us on Twitter at Chris Blystone at NFL scheme and at Jim Campbell 81 and Shepard, what is your highlight Twitter account? Is it the Do you tweet it out through your main account or do you tweet it out from another one? Yeah, no, I, I tweet out the highlights uh, from my main account from at NFL scheme. Um, <laughs> if you guys want to see, if you want to get a little peek behind the curtain, uh, for all the, 
the scouting reports I do, I don't, I don't flood my main account with that. It's actually at not Shep's burner, um, is my, uh, my account that I tweet out all the videos for like the Vikings, uh, the, the scouting reports I've done for them. All those are up there. Uh, it, it's not a great account to follow unless you just like watching random all 22 clips with no context. Um, but again, that's, that's up to you. If there, I have, I want to say I have about 23 followers on that account. So there are obviously 23 people who really just like random all 22 clips without context, uh, to those 23 people. Hey, I, I see you guys and I appreciate you. Um, but it's, it's probably not the best follow. I'm pretty sure I'm one of them. It, you might be. I appreciate, I appreciate you, Jim. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate all of your your social media accounts. (laughs) All right, guys. Well, um, so yeah, definitely check out, check us out on there. We're, we're pretty interactive. I mean, I'm on Twitter probably far more than I should be. And, uh, and I will happily, well, so, I mean, I'm, I'm very rarely short with people I've learned. This is the way that I deal with people who, um, who irritate me. And this is how, you know, um, that I am angry. Uh, I start tweeting and responding exclusively in somewhat passive aggressive office gifs. Um, <laughs> if, if my responses, I, now I do use a lot of office gifs anyway, so that response doesn't mean that I necessarily am feeling hostile, but if my, if my responses are somewhat negative and they're using negative off that, that is my way of like, you can interpret that however you want to, but just know that I'm trying to, somewhat disagree with you or possibly think that you're an idiot and I just don't want to have an actual argument. So I'm going to use uh, office gifs so that you can convince yourself maybe that I'm being playful, but really maybe I think you suck. So um, yeah. So be self-conscious about that in any interaction. Now I'm going to enjoy that that is out there in the atmosphere. Every time I send one of those, you know, Jim saying yikes or whatever out into the world that people are going to wonder whether I think they're the worst. Yeah, I just spend most of my time on Twitter now. Twitter screaming at anti-maskers. Yeah, and I use lowbrow language I mean, and ad I mean, hominem attacks. I mean, so. you, you you moved to Florida, so I feel like you should have seen all this coming. Uh, and by the way, should we should ask now that we're about to wrap the show up? I mean, you, you seem to be okay. You're not like blown away by a hurricane or anything, right? So all all well uh, no. in your neck of the woods. But I think there's like three hurricanes standing by, and I'm like not making that up. I just <laughs> I like that they're standing. I like that they're standing by, just in line, ready to go. Like, hey, uh-huh. it's, you know, it's this guy's turn. Oh, yeah, I'll, it, I'm up next. Yeah, it's, it's good. Like the, it's like they're on a like it's a, a slip and slide. And they, yeah, it's like they're on this massive slip and slide. And they just don't know which part of America they're gonna hit, and. <laughs> And it's fortunately, Florida. none of them have hit me yet oh, in this good. part of Florida. Um, it's, it's just I, really I cool that. that the hurricanes are treating you like the Karate Kid. They're just taking turns. They're not going <laughs> to all jump you at once. They're going to take turns and beat you up in succession so you can deal with them accordingly. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you got to push the narrative somehow, and yeah. um, it's 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 an interesting place. This this weird swamp that I've moved to. Um, and, and I, I'm actually really like, you know, I, I pissed off about the pandemic for a myriad of reasons, but uh, I, you know, had hoped that uh, one of our listeners who's down here as well, uh, you know, Dr. James Savage, who won our T.Y. Hilton jersey, and I could have attended this game 
Um, mm. We could have, actually, but we don't really want to go to Duval, and especially in, in the middle of a pandemic. So, but like, uh, <laughs> I don't think that you should go to a Jags Colts game until you're able to be in the pool, man. You gotta oh, yeah, be in that sure. in that Jaguars pool. Yeah, yeah. Well, and also, <laughs> God, one a one p.m. game on on the East Coast like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's rough. <laughs> I, I think I'm still immune to the virus, so uh, I would have gone. Would have been fine. Yeah, you could <laughs> fine. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, uh, that's about it for us. We'll be back uh, later in the week with the opponent scouting report episode. Get you all prepared for Colts Vikings, the Colts home opener. And um, until then, that's all we got, guys. Uh, We will catch you next time. Bye. Later. Later.